another episode of The Roost Podcast. As always, I am Carter Spires, here with my co-host Matthew Bartlett, the founder and managing editor of The Roost, your premier source for rice sports news and analysis. Well, we back this week. We got a, a fair amount of things to cover. We have some a quick roundup of what was a, a very good week for sports in general, uh, and then we'll break down rice now most of the way through through 2021 spring practice. Uh, the the spring game, I believe, is scheduled for uh, April the second, third, that second. That's right. I was just dropping in the dock. And they did so, just they did just open tickets this way for yeah. that. It's a COVID uh, limited seating and no concessions, masks and the like. But uh, those are uh, complimentary for any Rice fans. You can go. I, I tweeted and posted a link on Facebook so you can go find that um, and come join us for some football. Yeah. So um, anyway, with the most of the way through practice, we've got some some observations and things to run down we'll we'll play a little game where we we talk through some possibilities for the season based on um based on what we've seen so far in practice but uh yeah getting off to the news it's been a very good uh so uh the women's basketball team uh unjustly snubbed for an at-large <laughs> bid into the the ncaa tournament uh was there don't seem to have been actual seeds for the women's NIT, I'm not really sure what the deal with that is, but they uh, does, the, to does have... the men's NIT seed? I don't think either I think... of them do. Oh, does the men's seed? I thought the men's one did, but I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, anyway, they, uh, they this were tells in you the how much we watch yeah. the men's NIT. So the women's team is in the NIT and uh, have won their first three, I believe, uh, all largely in dominant fashion, including a. Uh, what was it like a 24 point win over previously undefeated Cal Baptist in their uh, regional final. So they are now in the, the semifinals of the NIT, which. Uh... Oh, gosh, where is that in again? I don't even remember. Solid Memphis. Memphis. Yeah, that's it right. was one of the classic. It reminds me very much so of the the college football G5 versus power five debate of where if you looked at rice's resume th there was nothing on the games that they played that said this is a really really good team like they beat someone that was like they, they beat good cusa teams and they like blazed through conference so like clearly they were, were pretty good but there wasn't anything like maybe ncaa worthy about their right. resume but if you watch them play and you watch Nancy Mulkey and Sidney Wiggins and Lauren Schwartz and Jasmine Smith, it's like, OK, like they could easily have beaten half the NCAA field like they were within a, a single uh, shot of Texas A&M, who's a two seed. Yeah. Um, and then they came out. Yeah. And then they just kind of bulldozed through the NIT and into the final four, which is a. If you can't make the tournament, getting to the final four and heck, go win the dang thing, uh, that would be pretty nice, all things yeah, considered. Yeah, pretty, uh, pretty decent consolation for us. No, I mean, it's like it's you know it's the sort of thing you see on a, on kind of a different scale, and like that we've all seen in the men's NCAA tournament right now. Like, uh, poor Illinois, poor Illinois, a one seed, but uh, had the misfortune of facing Loyola, uh, Loyola Chicago in the second round, and. Loyola was the ninth ranked team in in Ken in Ken Pomeroy's rankings, which is like sort of the the gold standard of like advanced analytic power rankings for uh, for for men's college basketball. Like if you if you know anything about 
men's the, the the advanced analytics on that side. Like you you probably heard the name Ken Pomeroy. So they were a top ten team in his rankings, but because they were you know uh, from a no name conference, they ended up like an eight seed and were 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 vastly underrated and. Uh, you know, poor one seed Illinois had to face them in the second round, and they just they just kind of bulldozed through them. So I think Rice kind of fell victim to that same sentiment here. But yeah, you know, note ten CAA next year. I don't care who's on their resume. Put them in. <laughs> Own up to your mistakes. Um, the, the NCAA things, is really good at that, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Of all of all organizations. Um, the other two results both happened uh, on the same day, uh, Tuesday the 23rd, we're recording this a day later. Uh, the volleyball team defeated, for the second year in a row, a top-five-ranked Texas team in Austin. Um, or it was in Austin this year, I don't remember if it was... It was in Tudor last year. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then later, the men's... Uh, the, or the baseball team went into College Station and beat Texas A&M, so... Uh, Rice is now the dominant sports power in this state. I think that's uh, the conclusion we come to here. That's definitive. This is you know this yeah. is a Rice podcast, so we can we can draw sample size of a week, and uh, it is so. Yeah, There's... Just, just extrapolate that out. It's fine. Right. I'll take it. It was a fun week. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. And I, I mean, even more than that. We had more football, which I'm 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 like pinching <laughs> pinching myself thinking back to last. You realize that when we sat down, I don't even think we noticed this, but when we sat down two weeks ago to record this, uh, was the day was the week that the uh, the sports world shut down. Oh yeah, no, and, uh, I mean I, I always remember the, the <laughs> Wednesday, March 11th of last year was that that was the night that Rudy Gobert tested positive, and and that was the beginning of the cascade. We're like. By a week later, pretty much everything had shut down. Yeah, and March twelfth, that was uh, that was when the the women's basketball team walked off the court in Frisco without playing a game. And uh, goodness gracious, yeah. So eh, with that, I'm not taking for granted uh, any any opportunity we get to talk sports. So uh, we mentioned the blue gray game. Uh, go ahead and get out and see in person some of the things that we've been talking about. I guess more so on the site, a little bit on the podcast. We're getting into spring stuff. And I did want to note most of pretty much all of this that we're going to kind of talk to and debate um, has already been up on uh, on the Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash at the roost and and find it all there. And we're kind of giving you all every uh, little bit of nugget and interesting piece of information that we can find from spring practice. And I know it's it's the spring and we, we get hyped up for for all sorts of things, but I think it's particularly interesting now that Rice has a new offensive coordinator for the first time uh, under Mike. And so we've seen a, a couple things there that we're going to kind of talk through and, and a couple interesting notes on, on the defense, too. Um, so if you would rather not wait for uh, our every other week podcast that is going to hit some high level things and you want it as soon as it's out, um, we'll get a <laughs> go ahead and, and subscribe now. Ten bucks a month gets you access to everything. Um, recruiting updates and and we got a couple special things uh in store coming soon so there's more we got uh, when this drops we'll have one more uh, full scrimmage which hopefully uh bloomgren has said might give us 
us a bit more clarity on the depth chart. So that would be nice. Uh, that'll be up there on Patreon. And then in two weeks, uh, April the 2nd, uh, that is, I guess it's not, it's not even two weeks. That's a week. Mm-hmm. I, uh, do week we still get to use the COVID time excuse? Or I can't, <laughs> count. how long is that allowed? <laughs> I guess, uh, should I kick it off? I guess I, I created this. So I, I will, uh, I'll explain it. Um, put some text in it with our uh, educated riceness. And uh, it's a, a really easy game. I'm going to kind of just give you a heads up. At something that I thought was interesting about spring practice over the last couple weeks. Um, and then I'm going to extrapolate and hypothesize out of that. And you're going to tell me whether or not the statement I come up with uh, is something you believe or not. So uh, we will start off the top with uh, something... We'll start easy. So Rice, when they enter the fall season in 2021, there will be only one new defensive starter, believe it or not. So Blaze is the only guy who is departing on that line. We've seen a lot of new guys coming into the secondary. Sean Fresh um, has been really interesting. Myron Morrison and Desmond Baker. Uh, both contending for spots uh, at linebacker. Uh, the defensive line, we got some returning guys, but Kebron Page um, had, a, I believe, a three-sack game and a touchdown in the first scrimmage. He's been having a good spring, and we have, we have a lot of new talent uh, that's come in so far. So the Rice defense was good last year. They added a lot of talent to it. Uh, believe it or not, the only new starter is going to be that linebacker spot. Yeah, you you hit the rundown pretty good there. I'm going to go with believe with the caveat that the secondary in particular was so in flux last year that it's almost sort of meaningless to designate any particular player as a returning starter or not a returning starter because, I mean, Miles McCord was maybe the only guy who like started every game in the same position in the secondary last year. Yeah. Um, so for so assuming if I told you that we're assuming the secondary, uh, the presumed starters uh, last year, and I guess actually starters sans injury, Trayshawn Devoe, Miles McCord, Naeem Smith, and George Nyakwal. I think all things considered, that's who we thought after right. after Trayshawn, uh, Trayshawn, um, who transferred. It's, it's blanking for me. Um, at corner. Oh. Um. I was just I just had his name in my mind a second ago and I was thinking about like oh they haven't lost many people to transfer except for you know that that guy who transferred uh oh it's uh completely escaping me but yeah <laughs> anyway yes I'll, I'll that think that of it presumed at starting some point. secondary um all back I I would assume they're all in their positions there'll be plenty of rotation back there um, defensive line gets everybody back, you know, unless somebody like Page like makes a big move at, you know, rush slash outside linebacker slash defensive end. Um, yeah, I, I think that that one is pretty likely. I'm uh, I'm going to go play along, too, um, because it's a game and everyone likes games. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'm going to say I don't believe it. Um not because I think that there was a a weak link, so to speak, um, in the secondary. 
secondary on the defense as a whole. Uh, but I really, really, really think shot. It's Tyree Thornton. He there has, we go. That's and he's yes. playing in North Texas, so Rice will see him this yep. year. Oddly enough, um, yeah, small world. There you go. Yeah, I, I, I think there's just been so much talent that's been added that I somebody else, somebody else is gonna get is gonna get a job. I, if I had to pick, uh, I am gonna go with Sean Fresh in the secondary, uh, just because he's been so dynamic and he got. Uh, I think we talked about him a little bit after the he got hurt in the Southern Miss game last year, the the mm-hmm. second game of the year, and and was kind of missed the rest of the season. I don't believe he got back into anything. And I I want I I in my head I'm I'm choosing to believe um, that had he been healthy, I think he would have started into the rest of the season. If that was the case, he might have entered camp as the one A one B. So um, right now it's it's the depth chart. It's the spring, so it's kind of kind of fuzzy, especially right. in the secondary. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm gonna go fault. Uh, I don't believe it, but I think the line. If I would have set the line, it would be at one and a half, and you could argue either way. So yeah, um, that that 2020 class had uh, you know in that group of kind of the top recruits they got in that group had some some serious serious athletes. Uh, that they were able to pull in, and Sean is one of those guys, and I, I'm really looking forward to to him specifically, and to those guys in general, kind of coming of age, because uh, you know a lot of them got in the strange abbreviated 2020 season, such as it was. A lot of them kind of got their toes wet a little bit, um, but there's a lot of guys in that group like him and Gabe Taylor and Play Wyatt that you know once they kind of have their feet under them totally, like those those guys are going to make a big impact. Uh, so I would not be surprised at all to see Sean Sean come in and and find a job in the secondary. Yeah, I mean, play play Wyatt's been doing a little bit at, at Viper. Um, Jaron Bakes is a, a JUCO guy at linebacker. Uh, a ton of new corners that have that came in with Jordan Dunbar missed some time too. Like I think we're going to see more guys. Um, always going to take the over. Um, and, but that's because they're better, not because we were in this situation a couple years ago and we're playing, Rice played, what, 40 people on defense? <laughs> um, but that was not a good 40 people. I think this could be, we'll call it 20, a good 20. Um, okay, so that's that's one. Item number two, we talked a little bit off, off air, but I'll bring it up here at the second one. So uh, if uh, you, again, if you're a Patreon subscriber, I, I told you guys this right off the bat, if you are not you are late to the party but i'm going to let you in on a little secret um i guess it's not really a secret if i've already um, put it out there but jordan myers the do-it-all utility everything for rice football who's uh, been a tight end for the past couple years uh leading i guess leading pass catcher he got the most passes for rice last year i believe is that right um if not he was close yeah jordan myers 24 receptions last year yeah, Jake Bailey all the turnover wide receiver. Yeah, this is true. I mean, Austin Trammell had 16 and and what was it? Did he play three games? Goodness gracious. Yeah. <laughs> Dude's unreal. Um, but so, yeah, Jordan Myers, he spent the spring at running back and not just like, hey, go work with the running backs and come back, but almost exclusively uh, working with the running backs during the first scrimmage they did. That is kind of where he was at. And he was operating. Uh, of course, they got Juma Otaviano. They got Kalen Griffin. Um, so he's not 
not back there by his his lonesome, but he was operating as, as more or less one of the the lead running backs. Um, led the led the team in carries fourteen. Um, Kalen had ten. Ari had nine um, in the first. Ari Broussard and, and the first scrimmage. So so believe it or not, now that we have Jordan Myers working at running back, is he the starting running back for Rice in twenty twenty one? Ooh, this is a tough one because there's a lot of um, Ari, as much as he's a great story and had some some solid runs last year, um, is still a walk-on converted linebacker. Um, Scholarship, a, but we'll walk-on, former walk-on yeah. converted linebacker. Yes, uh, Kalen obviously is very, very talented, as we talked at length about last year, but has had some ball security issues. Um and Juma, for as as incredibly talented as he is, just has had a very poor luck staying healthy. Um, so between all that and the fact that you know they trusted him as the short yardage back last year, I could see him being the guy who kind of gets the first carry in every game, and they they trust him in in kind of critical short yardage situations. Um, I suspect, and I sort of hope. Uh, given, you know, the guys that they have there and, and the way you just generally want to play football in in 2021. I hope that this is a solid rota- solid enough rotation that the term starting running back is kind of meaningless. But do I think Jordan is the first guy out there getting the first snap of every game? Right now, I'm going to go with yes. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And I I think I'm going to have to believe it, too. And and it's we talked we talked during the our National Signing Day recap and we talked again or I guess the I'm they just need to pick one. We talked during the early signing period recap and then again wrapping up the class on National Signing Day that. There, there probably was room for maybe a spot left or two in the 2021 class. And, and it was it needed like, like they needed another running back and they needed an experienced guy um, from the transfer market. I think they found their experienced guy. And it's, it's Jordan Myers. And like, I don't I don't think they need to go into the portal for this anymore. I don't think they're going to find somebody. Right. What, they might find someone that is talented and can do the role. They're not going to find someone that they trust implicitly like Jordan Myers. Right. Um, so, I mean, he was the goal line back. He, did he? I think they only, I think Rice only scored one rushing touchdown last year. And it was his goal line plunge against Marshall. What an absolutely bizarre statistic that is. The no, I guess he didn't count as a running back because he only <laughs> had, get, get this, he had nine carries last year for 10 yards and the only rushing touchdown Rice scored all season. But, are so yeah they trust him <laughs> in high leverage stuff he can catch the football and i think it's interesting because we, we, we talked a, a little bit about um marquez tuyasasopo the new offensive coordinator and, and kind of some of the influences he's bringing over to rice i think you might see man imagine you put juma and and jordan in the backfield and you can do so many things you 
can motion Jordan up as a fullback. You can put him out in the slot. Um, you can move right. the quarterback out and let Juma run Wildcat. Like it just so yeah. No, I'm I'm especially excited about the prospect of him playing there, particularly in the sense of and I and I'm hoping um, Coach Tilly will bring some of this, but um, just as sort of a scheme nerd, I love the stuff you can do out of shotgun two-back sets, which Rice has done a little bit of over the last couple of years. Um, and particularly when you have a back that can play one of those spots that is a good and willing blocker, you can do some really fun things with sort of, um, uh, you know, spread gap runs and option things and quarterback draws um, when you can mix up the roles of the people in the backfield. And I love the idea of getting Jordan back there in one of those spots, um, you know, and you can run, uh, you know, inverted veer quarterback power, things like that. And you can move him, have him as a blocking back because he's, you know, he's tied in. Like he's, he's obviously very used to blocking and doing so in space. Uh, so I love the idea of being able to put him back there and use him as kind of a chess piece. Because there's so much more versatility in what you can do with him from that spot. He can carry the ball, he can block, he can, he can be a receiver, he can do whatever. There's so much more versatility in what you can do with him out of that spot if he is a running back than what you can do with him previously as a tight end, even when he was the sort of jack-of-all-trades before. Um, so I love I love the idea of having him back there just because of the skill set that he brings and the sort of fun things and creative things and unpredictable things that you can do schematically when you have a guy that has his skill set in that role. Yeah, and I think it's a little bit different because I think back, and uh, if you uh, stay attention, uh, stay, stay, stay attention, uh, pay attention, stay tuned. Uh, we got a, this is our, our off season uh, interview series. So we got a special guest coming up that uh, uh, knows this uh, backfield position uh, quite well and played kind of that jack of all trades role coming up with, uh, we have Aston Walter uh, coming out. You probably saw that in the show notes, but you know, him, Aston and Austin uh, Walter both did kind of that hybrid role of pass catching, uh, running, uh, you know, Austin, obviously more, more pass catching than, than Aston. Although uh, Aston did have the, the, the big fourth down grab. Um, mm-hmm. he, I think he caught two passes in like 2018. One of them went for like 30 yards on fourth and 20 or something. Um, <laughs> because of course, uh, but in, Anyhow, so Rice has used kind of like, like, and, and if you think about, you know, Bloomgren coming over from Stanford and Christian McCaffrey and, you know, having some guys that can do everything, that was nice. But, but Jordan Myers is 6'2, 220. He, it's, it's not, I'm, I'm not going to call like Aston Austin aren't gadget guys. Like they, they were so versatile, but there's a, there's a power component behind Jordan Myers that you don't, you don't want to get blocked by him. Yeah. So. No, he, he definitely brings, they have not had big guys at the position much uh, over the first couple first couple years of this staff's tenure. So he, he definitely brings a different kind of power and size element in that sense. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And then while we're on, we'll do we'll hit one, one more on offense before jumping jumping around uh, while we're on it. So uh, I saw with my own eyes Rice utilize eight, nine, ten different wide receivers in formations on a football field this spring. <laughs> Which is like, pinch, pinch myself. But it was, 
it was so interesting to me because Bradley Rosner is is back. I saw him catching passes in a Rice uniform, and that was that was marvelous. Uh, um, so, but getting him back, that's already. If you told me that was all that was added, I, I would call that uh, a huge win. But uh, beyond that, Jake Bailey, with the experience that he got back last year, August mm-hmm. Pete, he got hurt. He's back. We didn't see Zay Knipe. He was hurt. He's back. Andrew Mason, we saw a little bit. Uh, grad transfer, they brought in. Trey Patterson is kind of like a... Uh, he's kind of a... He, he's, he can line up in the slot. He can line up outside. Uh, 5'11", 180. Uh, pretty twitchy and can do a couple of things. I think he had uh, two or three of his big highlight uh, plays. Didn't get a lot of run at New Mexico or just like breakaway touchdowns. Um, so that's a fun thing to add in your into your office off offense. And then you got a uh, Caleb Chappelle flashed a little bit last year. You got a couple other uh, red shirt guys at wide receiver. And I'm c- continuing to go down the list. I think I've hit everybody. But <laughs> with, with I, I'm getting to we, the list was really short. So I'm just I'm averaging out. We'll get to a medium length wide receiver list after this so my question is after naming out all of those options and knowing that rice was down to half a wide receiver last year jake bailey ended the season knocked up not knocked up (laughs) nicked up that's different uh uh, it's the spring uh we're rounding into form maybe by the fall yeah yeah, still warming up everybody was a little bit hurt last year and so they got a healthy receiving core uh, it's been, you know, Rosner and Trammell or um, before him, it, w- it was Trammell and Aaron Cephas. It, it, there's been basically one or two guys for Rice for, for quite some time now. Uh, so my question is, believe it or not, five different wide receivers catch a touchdown in 2021. Five. Hmm. I'm going to go with not just because. Even if you have a really deep wide receiver group, even if you are te- a team that throws the ball a lot, and maybe Rice will throw it a little more this year, we'll see. Um, you Just know, we don't one, to... one touchdown. <laughs> it is, even if you're a team that throws the ball a lot, it is often hard to find touches for more than about four wide receivers in your offense consistently. Um, so... I could see, like, like if if there aren't, you know, it, it, it's one thing if, you know, you go with a group through the first six games or so, and then a couple of them get hurt, and then you have, you know, two other guys that take over as, as like, full-time starters after, you know, the second half of the season. But, you know, I would say if everybody is reasonably healthy throughout the season, Rosner's definitely catching them, Bailey definitely is, and then, you know, pick two of Knipe, and Pete and Mason and Patterson, maybe. So I could see four. Five would be, particularly with the likelihood that they work in the tight ends a little more in the passing game this year, I would be surprised if there are five different ones. Uh, It's certainly possible, but I would bet more like three to four wide receivers and a couple of tight ends. And then maybe a running back or two are are your guys that catch passes. This is interesting. I'm I'm staunchly against doing this. Um, (laughs) I I think you're right. This is we don't we don't disagree enough. This is a good one. Uh, I think Rosner and Bailey 
are foregone conclusions. I think those guys are going to be on the field for the vast yep. majority of the snaps. That's that's done. Um, I think we've seen enough of August Pete in the past couple years. His his one reception uh, last season was a touchdown. He <laughs> is going. He is going to be the guy that it's you know third and eight from the ten or something like that. They're in the red zone and they're, they're just going to toss it up in the air and, and Pete's going to come down with a touchdown. He's not going to be an eight touchdown guy. He might not be a four touchdown guy. That it, they're going to run that play multiple times and he's he's going to come down with one. I'm I'm pretty confident there. Um, and so if you got that, then you're telling me that I need two of Cedric Patterson, Zane Knight, and Andrew Mason to catch touchdowns. And there is uh, one thing that all three of those guys have in common that Rice, yeah, Rice didn't really have on the field. They are burners. And we're not playing a five-game season this year. We're playing a 12-game season. And that's going to include some games against defenses that are not the best. Rice played <laughs> I mean, Rice played Marshall. Like We played some good defenses, yeah. uh, saw them last year. And, and you're telling me that two of those guys can't get breakaway touchdowns? Um, I mean, I just, I don't believe it. I think I, I don't think you're going to see like four guys catch four, five guys catch four. I think you're going to see like Andrew Mason has like two. Uh, Zane Knipe has two. Right. Something like that. But I think the they're going to spread it out more uh, because I think I think Rice's only my hot my hot hypothesis is that Rice has only played one or two, three wide receivers the past couple years is because of injuries and because they haven't trusted the guys behind them. And I think this year the difference is. Um, there's trust there. Like, I think Andrew Mason earned trust last year. Uh, I think they wouldn't have brought in Cedric Patterson and had him so involved in the offense this spring if there wasn't trust being built there. So um, maybe I'm too optimistic on the offense. I think five wide receivers catch touchdowns. If I would have said it at three and a half, uh, I go, I go over. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and and so it's funny I, that, like, like, I definitely, like, I, I like the depth of this group. I mean, I liked it last year, and then injuries just, just decimated everything. Uh, I like the depth of this group, and I, I'll be really excited to see if they keep people healthy, you know, what, because I, I completely agree with you. The reason they haven't gone to any depth in the last couple of years is because they haven't had the combination of talent and or health and or trust in the guys. But we don't really, because of that, we don't really know now that they have a group with a lot of guys they trust, how big is the rotation? Particularly because Rice is not a team that is going to be, like, they're going to be in 11, a fair, 11 personnel a fair amount, because everyone is these days, but they're not going to be in four wide, four true wide receivers on the field, uh, 10 personnel at very much. It's just not sort of in the, the kind of DNA of this program. So, like, how much rotation is there going to be? How much are the fourth and fifth and sixth wide receivers on the depth chart going to play? If you show me the first game of the season and there are six or seven wide receivers that play at least 30% of the snaps, then yeah, I, I like my belief that, that, that you get five of them catching touchdowns goes way up. But in my experience, the, even if you have guys that you like, at the four, five, six spots 
on your wide receiver depth chart. It's it's just not common generally. And I, you know, we'll we'll see what happens with this group and the staff and this team, but it's not that common generally to get a lot of receptions and therefore, you know, the opportunities to catch touchdowns for more than about four guys. So I that that's that is my my going with a knot on this one is not so much is is not at all a any bit of pessimism on the with regard to this wide receiver group. It's not that at all. I'm very, very excited about the possibilities that having so many guys that are this talented brings. It's just sort of playing the odds in terms of that many players catching touchdowns. I hear you. I, I think there's a there's a good chance we might see a bit more creativity this year. Um, it's going to be two tight ends, power power sets. That's going to be normal. But uh, I think you might see some specialized roles for, like I talked with August P. called out, where he's going to play 15% of the snaps, but he's going to be on the field in the red zone for a specific passage, package. Yeah. So we'll see. It's going to be interesting. And uh, I will, we, we've talked a lot about the offense. I'm going to flip over to the defensive side of the ball. And uh, we've kind of debated this question over the past couple of years now, but this is a new one. And so during spring practice so far, the first team offensive line, uh, uh, I know I said I was going with defense. I'm getting there. Bear with me. So the first team <laughs> offensive line uh, has looked pretty good, all things considered. I, I think that they've been kind of opening up some some running lanes and, and and doing their fair part. I'm not super concerned about the offensive line. The first team offensive line, that is. The second and third team offensive lines um, has has not been as pretty. Uh, Rice has some, some depth there, and they got a lot of young talent uh, that they've brought in so far. But my hypothesis is, and this is where the question comes in, so do you believe that the defense is so good that it's making the O-line uh, kind of shaky in the depth? Or do you believe the O-line is so shaky and even the defense is not as responsible for it as I do? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so do you believe the defensive line is truly elite-level dominant to that degree? I'm going to go with believe. Um, bringing back the talent that they do... Um, and seeing, you know, what we saw from DeBraylon Carroll, especially closing out last year. Like, I, I do think, I, I'm going with believe in this just because I, I really do think there is, we saw improvement from the defensive line last year. Like, get all those guys back. I, I, I think this is a really, really solid group. The one thing I would say is that it's very common, uh, again, just as a general matter, one, for defenses to be ahead of offenses at this stage of a spring Particularly, and this one is like this sort of bears out logically. Like the the first team defensive line looks great. The first team offensive line, which is all returning starters, they look great, and that makes sense because so much of offensive line play, unless you're just at the very very top level of talent, so much of offensive line play is chemistry and reps and and guys knowing each other and how to play together. Um, and so it is very common, I think, at every level of football for the drop-off from a first-team to a second-team offensive line to be much, much bigger than it is for, say, a defensive line. Because you're getting guys... And, like, often a second-team line is more of a hodgepodge group. Like, they're not... You know, if you have a guy go out from the first-team offensive line, it's not just as simple as, okay, the left tackle goes down, you put in the backup left tackle. Like, often you, you move a guy over and you put in a guy at a different spot 
and it's a mixing and matching thing to find the best combination of guys. So often a second team offensive line is not really as cohesive of a unit as the first team offensive line is, even though they're, you know, if in practice it's the same guys on that second team for a while, just because of the nature of how offensive line play works and how these things come together in the spring, especially it is, it's very common for, for second team offensive lines to be much further behind the curve. So I love how inside baseball we just got with that answer. That was very good. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. so my ultimate conclusion would be that like I do think the defensive line is really good and really dominant and that they have a level of depth that's going to be really good and that you need to have on a defensive line because you have to be able to rotate those guys out. But I think it's also an element of just the nature of what backup offensive lines versus backup defensive lines like on a broad perspective, I would say in most places, it's going to be true that at this stage of spring, your your backup defensive line is going to be better than your backup offensive line. Okay, I believe it, and I'll uh, I'll second that as well. Uh, I don't I don't have too much to add. I I, I really do. Uh, I mean, last year we talked about like, Caleb James was a guy that that came in, flipped over from where he was at and started running with the first team when folks were, were down and, and out last year. And he, he played really well. Um, he's back. He's looked great so far. Uh, I mentioned Kebron Page at the top. I just have, I opened up and looked the initial spring depth chart, which uh, is as fluid as anything. Um, but Kebron Page was listed, listed fourth at rush linebacker um, behind um Kenneth Orgy, Josh Piercy, and Adrian Bickham. Uh, Kebron's been like a special teams wizard while he's been here mm-hmm. so far. He'll play a lot of special teams. I don't know how much he'll be um, at that spot. But if you're telling me the guy that enters spring is your fourth rush linebacker, um, is wreaking havoc, you're doing all right. Like So I, I think we're going to be set there. Um, and I will flip over. We are now going to go. I'm not saving this for last because I don't want to dwell on it too long. But we have to <laughs> we have to talk about the quarterback in the room quarterbacks, excuse me, in the room. Uh, believe it or not, Rice is going to enter fall camp with a definitive starter named. So a little bit of, uh, of lead up so far. Um, Jake Constantine brought in uh, from, I guess, Weaver State was the last place he played. Um, won two conference championships there. Uh, had brought in and kind of learning this complex system on the fly. So been kind of uh, kind of all over the place uh, in the spring as he tries to get used to it. Uh, Bloomgren has been pretty adamant that uh, he likes where he's going. And this is he's at the stage of, oh, man, you've just thrown the kitchen sink at me. And that's what the spring is for. Um, so we're going to learn a lot um, over our fall scrim or our fall scrimmage, our uh, our final scrimmage and the spring game um, that we're going to kind of see. But right now, I, I think it's probably safe to say that um, Rice wouldn't have brought in a grad transfer if they didn't believe, um, maybe not 100 percent, but to some degree that he had a good chance to win the job. Um, so I, I and I think he's probably the. Bloomgren would say it's neck and neck. I would I would give the slight edge to Constantine right now. Um, but Jofani is I get I guess he's is he the incumbent? Incumbent ish. Yeah, uh, he, sort of. He, 
he he knows the scheme uh, much better um, right now, um, and obviously has the the dual threat component that he brings with his legs. So the stage is set. Uh, believe it or not, Rice enters the fall fall camp with the QB one. I'm gonna go with not, um, just because I think the factors here, given with that there's not a like clear leader right now um that it's 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 pretty close regardless um and that you have the competing factors of giovanni's athleticism and experience with the scheme versus constantine's um let's say accuracy and overall superior experience at the quarterback position um i don't think we're going to come into spring practice and you know have bloom be at that first uh press conference and say yeah, Jake is the guy or Giovanni is the guy. Um, but I bet that will be wrapped up by like I don't think the mystery is going to to carry into the season uh, as long as as long as both of them are healthy. Like I think there's going to be we will have a definitive we will know who the starting quarterback is going to be before game one kicks off. Yeah, I I, I think that's that's fair. I I think if we get to the point where we'll one of the two of them particularly dazzles uh, in the, the final scrimmage and the spring game that entering last fall, I think it, I can I can safely say that the the people inside the building um, at the Patterson Center thought that Mike Collins was going to be the quarterback. It wasn't publicly announced, I don't think, till maybe the second week of fall camp, um, but it, it was more or less decided they saw enough of what they wanted during the spring I, I i'm waffling but i think we could get there <laughs> i'm i'm gonna say not i'm gonna say i don't think there's gonna be an official uh, announcement made before we get to fall camp but i will couch that to say that i think internally uh, there might be a decision made before then i i'm, I'm still gonna lean constantine until um Joanna gives me a reason to to think otherwise that's my gut. Yep. We'll see. And we are going to close it with, we haven't hit on this yet, but we're going to close it with special teams. And uh, Austin Trammell is a longtime punt returner slash kick returner uh, a little bit. And, and when I think back to the last couple of years, it's, it's been Austin and the Walter brothers who have returned probably 75 to 85% <laughs> of all kicks that Rice has returned over the past three years. Um, so those all are gone. Uh, and we've talked about speed. Uh, it's been Andrew Mason, Zane Knipe, uh, Cedric Patterson, Sean Fresh, uh, all, all those guys working with the return units uh, this spring. A lot of spring. So believe it or not, Rice scores a special teams touchdown this season. And I will throw in... Uh, a defensive score counts. Okay. Um, I am going to go with believe just because if, if your primary kick returners are some combination of guys like Mason and Knipe and Fresh, uh, then you've got kind of an element of that, that game breaking speed and athleticism that uh, Rice has generally gone with reliable over flashy at returners. Uh, the last couple of years, I mean, Jordan Myers returned a lot of punt last year, punt last year, and and with all uh, 
love and admiration to Jordan. He is not exactly uh, your your typical returner in terms of athletic profile, let's say. He's not going for flashy. Yeah. Um, and Austin also, like, you know, great player, great wide receiver, but, you know, not the guy you think of as as racing through the entire defense to bring back a, a kick return or something like that. So, um Given that it seems likely that we are going to see a, a speed upgrade at the returner position, then I think that it's likely enough that we will see. I'm going to go no, just because math. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, I it's mean, such an unlikely play. I, I like, like, they're it's gonna fluky happen. in general, no matter, <laughs> like, no matter how good your, your returners are, like, unless you have a, Jalen Waddle, or you know, just one of those guys who's like NFL level game breaking speed that can bust it at any time. Like, it's just a very unlikely and random event. Yeah, that's and that that's basically my only rationale for it is I just I I, I don't see it happening. I, I think the special teams will continue to be good. I don't think we're going to fumble muff a punt three games in a row. I, I still can't can't believe. It's unthinkable after how good special teams has been uh, with with Bloomgren so far, uh, and that was fluky. But yeah, I'm and if it's going to happen, I'm I'm willing to put uh, most of my uh, chips in on it being uh, some combination of DeBraylen Carroll and Elijah Garcia on a a field goal attempt. They're just going to like they are going to destroy some poor UTEP. I mean, we don't have to pick on UTEP, but we'll pick on UTEP. Some poor UTEP offensive lineman trying to block and they're just going to just go run straight into him and then go pick whoever you want. Sean Fresh. There you go. This is the play, right? Uh, Elijah Garcia and DeBraylen Carroll destroy and block a punt. Sean Fresh picks it up on the outside and it's a foot race. There it is. And you're not catching Sean Fresh. So when that <laughs> happens, please note back to uh, the Roost Pod episode. Um, I don't know what episode we're at. It's, uh, we've been going for a while. High, I have it high 50s, 60-ish. Episode 72. What? Oh. That's right. Well, we somehow got a lot farther than I thought we were. <laughs> <laughs> Sports stopped last year, but we did not. Yeah, no. Keep on trucking. So, there you go. Uh, So, uh, one new defensive starter. We're split on that. Jordan Myers being the starting running back. We both agree there. Um, Vehemently disagreeing about how many wide receivers (laughs) will catch touchdowns. Um, We both agree the defensive line is just that dominant. Um, we both think that there's not going to be a quarterback one named by fall camp and uh, we're split on special teams touchdowns. It's interesting. I think I, I, I set some decent, decent uh, lines there. If nothing else, it made for some interesting. I mean, I could run, run through, through uh, this is what happened at spring practice and you can read all of those things. <laughs> go to the Patreon if you want. But uh, I, I thought that was a good conversation and some interesting. I'm going to go back now and, and try and come get, more ammo for my reason why Zay Knight is a surefire touchdown scorer this year. I would love to see it. You know, get him enough snaps out there and it's going to happen. I'm in. (laughs) Cool. That was a fun one. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, now we are going to kick it over to um, 
earlier on, Matt caught up with uh, former Rice running back and current Vandy grad assistant, Asin Walter. Um, grad assistants in football lead a, uh, a very busy schedule. <laughs> so so I wasn't able to make this one, but we were able to catch up with, with Asin for a little bit. And so we'll we'll kick it on over to that. All right, welcome in. I am joined here by uh, Aston Welter, former Rice running back, and uh, felt like he was here forever. Now he has uh, moved on to uh, bigger and better things, and it's it's been a wild ride. And this is the first time we were talking off air that I've gotten to sit down and chat with you, Aston. So uh, what's life been over the past, you know, two years and change? Well, life's been good. Uh, can't complain. Um, God has been guiding me on this journey is something I've been wanting to do for a while, even before I attended Rice University. Heading into my sophomore year of high school, getting ready to start as a varsity quarterback, I knew one thing I wanted to do was become a college football coach. And uh, just starting at Commerce, Texas, and it was offered by former Rice head coach David Baylor. And one thing he did, he said, hey, no matter where you're at, I'm going to take care of you. And uh, when he said that he loves me like a son and loves his players like a son he truly showed it in the night before i went to the afca convention before before the night started the next day he had went ahead and offered me a position so i started coaching at texas a&m commerce was there for the past year and learning under coach billy reebok who was also an assistant at rice university my last year around 2018 not 2017 i want to say and then i'm there for the past year and then i want to say Around February, March, Coach Billy Lynch, Lynch's brother, Joey Lynch, had contacted and asked, hey, we're looking for a graduate assistant here at Vanderbilt University. Would ask and be interested. And, of course, like the family and great men that they are, both Coach Rewild and Coach Bailiff like, hey, this is one heck of an opportunity to pass up. So they gave me their blessing. And. Now I'm doing wide receiver graduate assistantship here and loving every single moment of it. Cool. So, so roughly like 16 or so, you, you knew coaching was, was in your blood and, and you make the jump in your first coaching job uh, at, at Commerce. Y'all didn't play a football season. Is that right? Uh, it's, that's correct. <laughs> I think we had a, we had a COVID year and a lot of people, you know, had to adapt and things were derailed, things were changed. And we were one of the teams that decided and elected to not participate in fall and spring competition. And we were getting ready to gear up. And the thing that we always talked about in those meetings were, hey, here or there at Texas A&M Commerce, they, their expectation is to compete in women's champions, championships. And from football, women's basketball, all their sports are just championship level teams. And it's just a championship level atmosphere. So since there wasn't an NCAA sanctioned event, we elected to wait until the fall of 2021, which would have been this upcoming fall. So you're correct. We, we didn't have a season last year. So in, in some ways, is did you take a redshirt year for, for coaching, no playing, and, and you, you learn all the behind-the-scenes stuff first? You, you could you could. You you could say you could say you could say that yes and no because the expectation there working for Coach Bailiff and Coach Reebok is that they expect you to be a pro, and every single day it was a honor to work for both of them, and they prepared me, they groomed me for whenever the next opportunity was. And one of the things that Coach Bailiff 
mentioned to me is that, hey, I hired you knowing that you were going to leave me. And his job was to prepare me for that journey, wherever it, it may have been, whether it was in two years, a couple months, three years, is that he wants to make sure that his coaches are excellent coaches, but even better men. And I can say that he did that the last year. And I appreciate him for granting me that opportunity. So. And it's kind of interesting because with him, you know, training you up to send you out, uh, you're at the same high school with the same group of guys for, for four years. You're in, in college for four or five, six years with the same ish group of guys. Uh, and now you go into to coaching life, which, you know, is, is kind of more nomadic. Uh, what's it like kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm, more than likely, Vanderbilt will not be your your last stop on the journey. How have you kind of adjusted to, uh, you know, kind of going out on your own and, and learn the ropes? Yesterday I made a, an official week, as in a full calendar week that I've been here. And, yes, this, this job is very nomadic. And I was told that, hey, you're accepted. We want you here. And we, we need you here by Tuesday, no later than Wednesday next week. And that was just a weekend and a Monday. And it was only a couple of days to go ahead and make sure I packed up all my stuff and head to Nashville. And it was a quick transition. It, it's a lot of nerves. It's, it's a lot of uncomfort. But you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And life is about adaptation from the beginning of time. So it was just one of those things where I knew that I was raised by my mother and father to be able to adapt and overcome any situation. And that's what I did. So right up, right here, I'm just working with a great staff, a great group of men. So they've helped mold me into the program and I'm just, I'm just glad to be here. So. And does it kind of help it? Yeah, obviously uh, a good chunk of your, your playing career under coach Bailiff and then coach Bloomer coming in a uh, different kind of offensive style, kind of learn things. Uh, and, and had to relearn some different things, having some exposure to a couple different systems. And you probably played for, coached with alongside probably 15, 20, 30 different people uh, at that point. Is all of those little touch points make it easier to do something like this? Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up because from each system, whether it was at Rice University where Coach Joey Lynch, who's the passing game coordinator here, his brother Billy Lynch was my office coordinator throughout my time, my early years at Rice. And that system was different than when Coach Bloomgren came in with Coach Jerry Mack and they brought in that West Coast system. Now it's back to we have uh, David Rye and Coach Joey Lynch working and collaborating together and also gives another system. But the point is that I was able to take different things from each system incorporate just gain knowledge just and not even necessary schemes like every team in america has a inside zone every team in america has a go out concept but the point of is just learning minute details most there you go the details mm -hmm. within each system i think that is really just helps grow your knowledge in your football library up here yeah that's really interesting and, and then i guess the, it's the next level right you always learn to growing up that it the easiest way to know that you uh, comprehend your material is having to teach it to other people. So, so moving into the the coaching role, it's kind of the the ultimate test of, all right, you you've played this game for uh, when when you, you you told me when you started like five six something like that. It's pretty pretty actually, early. <laughs> actually, earlier than that, I was about three to four. Okay, time. I was you know, gonna say four, but I thought that yeah. sounded crazy. <laughs> and and people won't believe it, but. Me and my brother, probably three and a half, like we, we started everything early from the time we played football to the time we played 
I mean, we went to school. We graduated at 17 years old. And I'm still upset with my mom to this day. Like, mom, hey, we are graduated to 18 another year. Like, who knows what we could have been as far as athletes. But it's one of those things where, yes, you just have to start things earlier. That's just who we are. So, That's funny. I mean, and, and for those who don't know, when I say we, I'm an identical twin. I mean, pretty pretty much a lot of people know. But just for those who don't know, when I speak in we, I was, I'm referring to me and my twin. That's what well, I was. I was. I was thinking when we were uh, lining this up to get you on that uh, I hadn't talked to Austin in a while either, and I'm like, it. It, it was interesting. Uh, talk. I talked to you both a lot together when y'all were at Rice, but but you're, I, I guess, not senior year, graduate year, the extra year where where you were were here, and he was uh, heading off to the NFL. I feel like I got to know you a little bit better, and it it was interesting. It's it's because y'all were together doing everything, and and now you're off in the coaching ranks and, and he's playing. Have you kind of picked up some tips that you can pass on to him and say, by the way, maybe you should try uh, this. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, and what you wouldn't believe is that majority of the systems, whether it's it's NFL system and a little bit what we did with Coach Bloomberg, they speak the same language in the NFL. So once again, as I previously mentioned, people have concepts that is very similar to, hey, Inside, so I was just all about, all about how you name it. But yes, we've been able to collaborate and break down film together and just talk about concepts, schemes, be able to do a whole bunch of things that we would do it just as if we were playing together right there on Main Avenue, you know? But there's there's still some level of, of brotherly competition in there as well. Um, I wouldn't say it's a it's a level of competition anymore. It's more so supporting each other because one thing He's doing what he's always wanted to do. I'm doing what I've always wanted to do. Like, I think that anybody sitting here and saying that, hey, they don't want to go to the NFL. I'm not going to sit here and say it's a lot. Everybody has different mindsets. But for me, and he'll tell you, his his dream was to always make it to the NFL. And my dream was to always become a Division One head coach or an NFL head coach. And we're both, by year two, like, our, our, so I'll just go ahead and give you just a slight task. Yeah. So I don't want to talk too long, but. So our year one, both when he was making his journey through the NFL and me going through my first coaching year at Commerce, it was very similar as far as the trials, the tribulations, the highs, the lows. And by year two, he went ahead and he finished his first full season with San Francisco and uh, on the 53-man roster, which was amazing, I would say. And now I've also been able to elevate my career working with the, an amazing university like Vanderbilt University and the SEC. So you see how things have kind of been going in phase with each other. So yeah. as far as as far as far uh, competing with each other, I don't think that because we're both trying to make sure we make each other the best version that each other can be. He's supportive and happy for me every step of the way and vice versa. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, it's kind of interesting that you mention it because – uh, you know, he went on undrafted and, and got his shot, got on the practice squad and got, it was a, a prime time game. It was a Thursday night or Sunday night or something. He he was on a game and I saw him uh, make a big play. And I was like, Oh, that's a Walter. Yes. It's probably, it's probably, but I don't, I don't remember off the top of my head, but he, he, he would be it. able he, to tell us the exact hash, the yardage. He would have it all. I, I have absolutely. no doubt. Uh-oh. Absolutely. But, but then pretty cool at the same time that, that you get this, uh, opportunity. So, uh, you know, are you going to rise fast enough that you're going to be able to, uh, coach him someday? Are you going to have to, you got the early start. You're going to bring him onto your staff. <laughs> well, here's, <laughs> here, here's, here's the thing. Um, I've, I'm, 
I have a firm belief is that I'm going to let God set the course. And whatever he has planned for us to happen, I'll, it, it'll happen. And wouldn't it be awesome for two twins to be, hey, one's coaching the other? That would be amazing, an amazing opportunity to do. Or even if it's later down the line where, hey, we're coaching together in the same football set, awesome as well. But we just have to wait and see on that one. Yeah, and, and then for for those that I, – I, I'm not – I'm – Somewhere in between football illiterate and, and someone who knows the game to, to the same degree that, that you do. Uh, can you just, uh, you know, let us inside, uh, kind of your circle? You kind of mentioned the, 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 the techniques and the, the details that you've kind of picked up, but what is the life, uh, you know, a, a weekend? What's the life of a GA? What do you do? And when, you hear that people have these coaching staffs of, of 500 people in, in college. The people that that aren't on the field, what's the, what's going on behind the operation uh, that that you're working on that that the casual fan or somebody sitting at home, you know, watching on Saturdays might not see. So there was a there's an old saying that one of one of my coaches explained to me. GA is your your job is to make sure that the coaches and your coach specifically make their job easier. So. That consists of several things, but I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're referring to the schedule. So I would say it can start 4, 4.30. And you're not always so, hey, you have to be here at this time. I don't think anyone in the country would coach and expect any of their staff members to be up that early. But because you care, because you want to help build a program, help reshape a program, and you want to dedicate yourself, you decide to put in those extra hours. So with those extra hours, that, that can consist of making cut-ups, breaking down and analyzing film, um, installing playbooks, uh, helping players who decide they want to come come in early, go over the material so they can be prepared for early morning practice. Just a whole bunch of roles that I'm probably not in, but it's just a, a lot of responsibilities ultimately to not only make your coach's job easier, but to make the team a better team. It is kind of, I, I don't know, if, what, what, I don't know what the right word, exciting, but, you know, at, at Rice, they, they really do hammer home that it, it's football and academics. You, you can't not pay attention to school uh, when you're at Rice. But, but now that you've gone into coaching, it is, it, it's football uh, almost 24-7. I, I guess if you're waking up at 4 a.m., you're getting, what, two, three, four hours of sleep at least. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. But it's one of those deals where you know what you signed up for. And if you love something that that much and you're passionate about something, you shouldn't let the the hours or anything get away from what you do best with your craft. And I think that I don't necessarily look at the hours. I necessarily look at, hey, what can I do to get better this day? And what is it going to take to get better this day? And if it takes waking up at 4 a.m. and not going to bed at 11 and waking up and doing it again, that's just what it takes. So. I'm gonna I'm gonna clip that and I'm gonna play that every night before I go to sleep and then it's gonna motivate me that little clip of of man I'm gonna wake up because I'm gonna attack this day like Aston oh hey, man. man you you've got the coach in you I can feel it <laughs> that's just a little bit of that Kobe Dean Bryant mob mentality <laughs> I think that's one thing that he's just while his time here was on this earth he, I think that one of his greatest lessons that he tried to teach everyone what do you want to do to become a better the best version of yourself and i think that whether you're a basketball fan laker fan kobe fan whatever it is just being able to to listen to some of the wisdom that he shared with people just free so it's it's amazing i think i've taken some of those lessons just implemented into my life and i can surely say that i'm proud of the results that i'm seeing
Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, I, I guess uh, as we kind of let you out, what are kind of, you know, what are you looking forward to? I, I know you and I've, I've known you long enough that you're going to get not going to give me a 10 step road plan roadmap of what's going to happen over the next year or two or three. Uh, but, but now that you're in this role, what kind of what are you looking forward to uh, this year with your, your first year, you know, COVID-19 pandemic <laughs> aside, hopefully getting to coach and be a part of a football season. And, you know, what, what kind of are you looking forward to in this new chapter that, that you're moving into? The most important thing I'm looking forward to is how can I help Vanderbilt University become the best football program in America? And I believe it's uh, our coach, our head coach, Clark Lee, the best way that Coach Lee explained it is that if you do everything in your ability to help transform the university, in time, you realize the university will transform you. So what that means to me is that whatever it takes for Vanderbilt University to be the best, the best football program in America, I'm willing to do. I want to do. And I'm proud to say that I'm in an environment and amongst the coaching staff that feels the same way. Everybody wants to help this team and and reach potentials and reach a level that hasn't been 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 done before like we have our mentality we have our focus we have our our mantras and things of that nature and i think that if to answer your question once again to just how can i make this program better than when i arrived here all right and then i want to close you out on this this last one we haven't talked much uh, about rice uh, specifically and, and where it's at now but obviously when you were part of the the transition group that that bridges the gap between two coaches, and you kind of saw what what Mike Bloomer was was all about and bringing in, and you kind of you know laid the foundation. Uh, that's what you were telling me that you wanted to do before you left. Uh, what was it like after? I remember you that way. That was in El Paso. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, I do. About to say, <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I feel like I've lost all track of time during the past year, but I do remember that conversation. Um, but but when you said that, uh, you know, obviously you have hopes and aspirations, but but you you leave and it's on it's on Bloomgren, it's on the players, it's on everybody else to kind of carry that out. Uh, what were you doing? when you saw Rice upset Marshall and kind of have that tangible touch point of something they're doing is, is working? So I probably was somehow, some way, watching the game somewhere. And it's just one thing that Coach Bloomberg preaches, preached was being one of the most physical teams in America. So intellectual brutality, as the mantra there at Rice. And I believe that game showcased that. You know, you led by an amazing leader, Blaze Aldridge, who I believe one he's one of the guys that helped, even though I know that he's departed, but he he really, really helped not only build that defense up but that team. And you couldn't notice how ferocious and how how much tenacity that defense played with that game. You know, I was it, it was it was a little roughy, rough. On offense in a way, but they were still able to, you know, keep it in the game and finish the deal. And, and, and the bottom line in this business is winning. And to win a game, it's just no, no matter how you do it, whether whatever way, that's all that matters. But just being able to see the young guys, the guys that maybe in my last year weren't necessarily ready, be able to step up in those roles and to beat a team like Marshall, who was undefeated at the time, top 25 team, nobody expected that to happen. But that's how I felt, and if we're being honest, I felt that way my last year. 
And I think a lot of people felt that way. We, we, we went three and nine that year, but I'm proud to say that was one of the most tough together driven focus teams I've been on the rights and nothing against the other teams I've been on, but every game, no matter if we're playing against a big 12 school like Baylor or ACC school, like Wake Forest, like one of my coworkers, he's the head strength coach and he was at Wake Forest and he comes to me like, man, y'all were one of the best teams that we we played against all year. And another one of my coworkers was at La Tech, the game that we lost close in overtime. He was like, man, y'all were the best team that we played that year, even better than mine. Like it was, it was a dog fight. And so I believe that just being able to see the respect and what people on the outside thought about that team in particular shows that the feelings that I had were true. And one thing you'll learn in this game is that, like I say, yes, our bottom line is winning, but there's lessons. And it's a quote on any given Sunday that I wish I could quote my coach Tony (laughs) DeMano, but it's just a, basically, I think that the message he was trying to portray was that, you know, life is about how can you respond to winning and losing. So just being able to know that those lessons, those Good moments, bad moments, wins, losses, all help make me the man that I am today. So without Rice University, I don't believe Aston Ryan Walter is where he is today. So Rice will always have a place in my heart. So this is good. I'm sending I'm gonna cut that open, send that over to Bloom too, and we'll get you to be doing the promos at Rice as, as well as uh pumping Vanderbilt and Commerce and everywhere else you've been. But uh <laughs> I appreciate it, I man. Understand. I I know I, I GA life I, is is sounds it's probably crazier than you made it out to be because you kind of make everything seem easy somehow. But uh, uh, we will uh, we'll let you get back to uh, whatever the next thing is. Uh, where can we follow you? Uh, Instagram, Twitter, what are you on? And, and follow your journey uh, through Vanderbilt and beyond. So my Twitter account is capital C Coach C L A C H um, Walt W A L T underscore. And my Instagram is smooth. S M O O T H like Walter with no S. So there's a little something smooth there that I really like to incorporate. But those are my two social medias. And go ahead, follow me and follow this journey. And just know that for all the listeners at Rice, whether I came into contact with you or whether you just follow me, and not necessarily even follow me, but follow the teams that I was on, I appreciate all the support that you gave. And no matter what times we went through, there was nothing but love and a family built there, right? And I believe that only thing, good things are to come in the near future. So wish Rice the best of luck this year. And hey, hopefully we meet later down the line. But don't get it twisted. If we meet down the line, my, my mission is to be Ocean University. I'm a Vanderbilt Commodore and I'm proud of it. Oh, I don't know. We're not going to put that in there. <laughs> hey, you got to cut that up. You got to. I'm, I'm a loyal guy. So. That's nah, how it is now. <laughs> I, I love it, man. I appreciate it. Thanks again for your time. We'll, we'll let you head out. Um, but uh, thanks for joining us and uh, Bryce Fight. I appreciate it. Y'all have a great night, okay? This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.